Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the book of Ezra. And to that end, I invite you to turn with me to Ezra chapter 2. Because of its length, I will not be able to read the entire chapter. Instead, I'll just read the verses 1 and verses 64 through 70. Let us hear the word of God. Now, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, every one to his own city. Now, following this, we have a long list of the names of the people who returned. And then we read in verse 64 and following, the whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, and they had 200 men and women singers, Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Some of the heads of the fathers' houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God, to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim dwelt in their cities, and all Israel in their cities. This ends the reading of the holy and inspired word of God. May he bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts today. Dear friends, our text passage today records the names of the exiles who returned from Babylon to the Promised Land. I'm sure after reading this chapter, many of you may be thinking to yourselves, well, why is this even in the Bible? Why are there other passages in the Bible that contain nothing but names? I think, for example, of the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. What, if anything, can we learn from this? Would it not be better to just skip over this chapter and go to something more instructive, more edifying? Well, as the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is also true for the genealogies of Scripture, including our text chapter. Also here, the Holy Spirit would have to teach us things, things that are vital to our spiritual well-being. This is reinforced by the fact that this same list of names, with a few slight variations, appears also in the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 7. And when something is repeated in the Scriptures, you know it's important, and that's true here as well. Well, that said, what would the Holy Spirit have to have us to learn from this chapter of his holy word? That's what we hope to consider in our sermon today. 
reflect on this chapter under the theme, The Exiles Who Returned. And we'll see that they are, first of all, numbered by the Lord, and secondly, devoted to the Lord. First, then, they are numbered by the Lord. As I've already mentioned, our text chapter this morning records the names of the exiles who returned from Babylon to the Promised Land. Now, who were these people? Well, we have a detailed list in verses 2 to 63. And this list is, is divided into several sections. First of all, we have the names of the leaders in verse 2. And their names are Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rahum, and Baana. Now, two names on this list stand out. The first name is Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel means offspring of Babylon, probably a reference to the fact that he was born in Babylon. Now, Zerubbabel was the political leader of the Jews. He was a grandson of King Jehoiachin, who was the last king of the house of David before the people of Judah were led off into captivity in Babylon. Zerubbabel was of the line of David, therefore, and therefore an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, his name is mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, reminding us that not even the exile could prevent God from realizing his redemptive purposes. His son, the promised Messiah, would be born of the house of David in the land of Judah, just as God had promised. The second significant name in this list is Jeshua, or Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Now, this is not the same Joshua that we read about in the book of Joshua. That Joshua died many centuries earlier. This is another Joshua. This is Joshua the high priest. His grandfather, Sariah, was the high priest when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. Sariah was killed, along with many other Jewish leaders, at Riblah on the way to Babylon. But his son, Jehozadak, Joshua's father, survived. By this time, Joshua had become the high priest of the people. Now, the names of Zerubbabel and Joshua often appear together, as we'll see. And that's because after they settled in the land, Zerubbabel and Joshua worked very closely together. They both played prominent roles in the reconstruction of the temple. And they're both referred to in the prophecies of Haggai and Zechariah, which were written at this time. One commentator observes that so close was their partnership that it was seen by the prophet Zechariah as a foretaste of the perfect regime to come when priesthood and royalty would unite in one man, and that man, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as for the other men mentioned in this verse, we know very little about them. Nehemiah is probably not the same Nehemiah who later oversaw the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. According to Ezra 7, verse 1, Sariah is the name of the father of Ezra. Realiah appears as Remiah in Nehemiah 7, verse 7. And Mordecai is a name that is associated with the Babylonian god Marduk, but he's not the Mordecai associated with the book of Esther. Nothing at all is known about Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rahim, and Baana. Significantly, there are 11 names here. But Nehemiah's copy of the list mentions one more, that of Nahamani, Nehemiah 7, verse 7. 
Now, why Ezra does not include his name, we don't know. But if we include his name, then we have a list of 12. Now, no doubt this was intended. Just as there were 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles, so there are 12 leaders symbolically representing the entire nation. Now, following the list of leaders, we have the list of families and the number of those who returned from each family, verses 3 through 20. And that's followed in verses 21 to 35 by a list of towns and the number of those who returned from each town. Now, it's not clear why some people are identified by their personal name, while others are identified by their geographical location. It's possible that since property was kept within the family, those identified by their geographical location are the poor who did not own land or property. And if that's the case, since there are almost as many towns mentioned as families, that would indicate that a good number of the people who returned owned no property, meaning they were not very wealthy. Significantly, verse 6 mentions Pahath Moab, which means the governor of Moab. Now, the Moabites lived in the vicinity of the Dead Sea to the east of Palestine. They were related to the people of Israel through Lot, the nephew of Abraham and his eldest daughter. Though historically idol worshippers and enemies of the people of Israel, it appears that at least some of them, like Ruth, who was also a Moabite, had become part of the covenant people of God. Next, in verses 36 to 58, we have various groups associated with the temple. First of all, we have mention of the priests in verses 36 to 39. The priests, of course, offered the sacrifices and made intercession for the people. Significantly, only four priestly families returned to the promised land. We assume the others decided to remain in Babylon for whatever reason. But a good number of them returned, 4,289, or almost 10% of the total number who returned. Notice that the name of Ezra does not appear, even though he too was a priest. Ezra's name does not appear, in fact, until we get to chapter 7. And that's because Ezra did not come until 70 or 80 years after the events of our text. In fact, he was probably not even born when the first exiles returned. Next, we have a list of the Levites in verse 40. These were the descendants of Levi and helpers of the priests who served alongside of the priests in the temple. Then we have in verse 41 mention of the singers. These were people who were responsible for the music in the temple. Then in verse 42, there's a reference to the gatekeepers, and their main task was to guard the temple and its entrances to prevent all unauthorized entry. And then finally, we have reference to the nethanim. Now, literally, the word nethanim means given ones or dedicated ones. These were thought to be servants who helped the Levites, probably with menial tasks. As many of their names are not Hebrew names, it's likely that many of these people were of foreign ancestry, perhaps immigrants or former prisoners of war. And then finally, we have reference to Solomon's servants in verses 55 to 58. Solomon's servants probably served in the temple, since they're counted together with the temple servants in verse 58. This group includes people originally from Canaan, whom Solomon made to do forced labor, hence the name. They probably performed the most menial tasks related to the temple. 
The final group, mentioned in verses 59 to 63, is made up of those who could not prove that they were true Israelites. Now, why they couldn't do so isn't known. Maybe their genealogical records were lost, or perhaps some of them were proselytes or descendants of proselytes. Or perhaps some were impostors who simply wanted to go along for the ride. Well, whatever the case, they could not prove that they were true Israelites. Now, needless to say, this was a very serious matter for the Jews in ancient times. It was probably one of the worst things that could ever happen to you. If you couldn't prove your descent, you couldn't inherit property or benefit from other privileges. And that was especially important for the priests. If you could not prove that you were from the tribe of Levi, you could not serve as a priest. You were regarded as ritually defiled, as it says in verse 62. Now, as a result, we read in verse 63 that the governor, probably Zerubbabel, commanded that those who could not prove their priestly descent should not eat of the most holy things until a priest could consult with the Urim and the Thummim. Now, the Urim and the Thummim were stones that were kept in the breastplate of the high priest. They were used as a kind of lot to discern God's will when making important decisions. And the fact that the governor ordered the Urim and the Thummim to be consulted illustrates the great care that the leaders of the people took to follow God's law. It's clear that they had learned the lesson of the exile. They were not going to make the same mistakes again. Well, such were the people who returned. In all, they numbered close to 50,000. There's something striking about that number. Scholars estimate the total population of the kingdom of Judah before the exile was between 120,000 and 150,000. And that of that number, only around 15 to 20,000 people, which is less than one quarter of the population, was actually taken into exile. And most of these were court officials, priests, skilled craftsmen, and other wealthy citizens. Now, if that's the case, then the number that returned was reasonably high, even taking into consideration population growth during the exile, possibly as much as one quarter or one third of the entire Jewish population. But it was still only a quarter to a third. What about the others? Well, they remained in Babylon. Why they did so, we do not know. But as we observed the last time, we must remember that Babylon was their home. Most of these Jews had grown up there. They had homes there. They had jobs and businesses and families and and friends. They had no desire to go to a land they had never seen before, especially one that was largely still in ruins. But as we'll see, this was a fatal mistake. And that's because over time, most of the Jews who remained in Babylon became assimilated into the surrounding culture. And their names are now lost. They're no longer part of the covenant nation of Israel. But the Jews who returned to the promised land, they thrived. And what is more, they became the focus of God's redemptive activity. For from them would come the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, such were the people who returned from the exile. Now, what can we learn from this list? We can learn several things. We learn, first of all, that the Lord knows his people. He knows their families. He knows where they are from. He knows each one personally and individually. In fact, he knew them from all eternity. In eternity, he wrote their names in the book of life. And his eye is always upon them. It was upon them in Babylon, and it is upon them now as well. How wonderful to enjoy the special care and attention of God. This is the greatest privilege that a believer can ever enjoy in this life. It is a privilege enjoyed by all who trust in Christ. Secondly, we learn here that God works in the lines of generations and families. You'll notice how often the word sons appears in this list. These people were sons of their fathers who were sons of their fathers and so on. They were the descendants of a long line of ancestors who feared the Lord and who walked in his ways. Now God is still pleased to work in the lines of families and generations still today. We do not inherit salvation. In order to partake of salvation, we, every one of us, must come to personal faith and repentance in Christ. But it is a great blessing when we may grow up in a Christian family where not only our parents, but even our aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents are all Christians. Thirdly, we learn here that the common people, not the priests, are the main drivers of fulfilling God's redemptive plans and purposes. You'll notice that the common people, or we could say the laity, are mentioned before the priests or the clergy. Now we might think it should be the other way around, since the priests are more important. But no, that's not what we have here. The common people are mentioned first. Now why is that? Well, it's clear it's because they are the main drivers of fulfilling God's plans and purposes. They are the ones who take the initiative to return to the promised land. They are the ones who also reconstruct the temple. The priests merely play a supporting role. Now it's important that we keep this in mind. Too often in the church, we think that because they are the leaders the minister or the elders have to do everything. But this is simply not true. The task of the leaders of the church is to equip, but the task of ordinary believers is to do the work. And we see that reflected here in this chapter. Fourthly, we learn here that God's people have a sense of belonging. God's people are not content to live separate from one another. They want to come together, and they want to be counted as one of the Lord's people. And this is also why some of the Jews mentioned in our text chapter were so anxious to prove their ancestry. It's because they wanted to belong. They had this sense of belonging. If they could not prove that they belonged, they were considered defiled, separate, set apart from the rest of the nation. Now, the same should be true for believers today. 
As believers in Christ, we too should want to belong. Belong to what, you say? We should want to belong to the visible church of Christ. We should want to be active, contributing members of the church, using our gifts and talents for the benefit of other members. Our delight should also be to come together for worship whenever we can, to fellowship with each other, to care for each other, and if necessary, even to admonish one another. But even more importantly, we should want to be members of Christ. We should desire to have our names written not just in the membership book of the church, but in the book of life. Having your name in the membership book of the church is a wonderful privilege, but it cannot save you. But having your name in the book of life can and will. Well, let me ask you then, is your name written in the book of life? Can you say with the hymn writer, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there? Or maybe you say, well, how can I get my name written in that book? It's very simple, my friend. You must repent of your sins and you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. The only way we can be considered part of God's family, to have our names written in his book of life, is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you, have you repented? Have you believed on him? You know, still today, the Lord is willing to write your name in his book. And that's why he calls also today. And that's why he invites also today. Oh, respond to him today before it is too late. Close to 50,000 Jews settled in the promised land. And each one was numbered by the Lord. But as we'll see next, they were also devoted to the Lord. That's our second point. It must have been a long and difficult journey, some 900 miles over some challenging terrain, and with the hot sun beating down upon them almost every day. But in the end, the exiles from Babylon arrived at their destination. They came into Jerusalem. Now, no doubt they were very disappointed by what they saw. They saw a city lying in ruins. Its walls were torn down. The old temple of Solomon was a heap of rubble. All you could see were just a few foundation stones. But this did not deter them from their purpose. They had set out in order to rebuild the temple of the Lord, and that's exactly what they did. And the very first thing they did was they raised some money. We read in verse 68, Some of the heads of the father's houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. Now this is amazing. These people did not use the money to build houses for themselves, to repair the buildings and rebuild the infrastructure. They used their money to rebuild the temple. And they did so, our text says, freely. So this was not a tithe. This was not a head tax. There was no obligation placed upon them to give a certain amount this was what we would call a free will offering. They gave as much as they wanted. And what is more, they gave according to their ability. In verse 69, we read, according to their ability, 
they gave to the treasury for the work. So that means some were able to give a lot, and they did, whereas others were only able to give a little. But they all gave what they could. And the amount is recorded in verse 69. 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. Now, how much this was in our money is impossible to say, but it was a substantial sum. It was more than enough, at least, to get started. Now, we can learn something from this. We can learn this important lesson. Is giving to the Lord and His work our first priority, even when times are tough? And are we giving as much as we can, not as the Apostle Paul says, grudgingly or of necessity, but cheerfully, out of love for the Lord and his people and his cause. You know, what we give and how we give is a reflection of what lives in our hearts. Those who give willingly and generously according to their ability demonstrate that their hearts are right with God. But those who do not demonstrate that their hearts are not right with God. And so we've considered today the exiles who returned. We've seen that they were numbered by the Lord and they were devoted to the Lord. But what we read about in our text chapter is merely a foreshadowing of a much greater return yet to come. Only this return will not be limited to some 50,000 people. It will be a number that no man can count. Nor will it include only Jews, but people from every tongue and tribe and nation under heaven. For on that day the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised, and they will return, not to a city in ruins, but to a city built by God himself, whose streets are paved with gold, whose gates are made of pearl, and whose buildings are bedecked with priceless jewels. And God shall count each one on that role that he has prepared from all eternity. And as we read in Psalm 87, God himself will make mention of them. He will make mention of Rahab and Babylon. Behold, he will say, O Philistia and Tyre, with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. And the Lord will record, when he registers the peoples, This one was born there. And his people shall respond with joy, All my springs are in you. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, 
please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. You can send us a check in any amount to 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.